Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Vogue Bike Podcast. We have a great conversation today centered around men's health and some topics that aren't necessarily chatted about enough. And Alex Balashov brought this up to me in an email. We were going back and forth and I said, this would be a great podcast topic. So Alex, I'm going to shift it to you. Why don't you give quick background, however much you want to share. And then even if you want to touch on the bullet points that you listed out and we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Alex Balashov. I'm a relatively new Evoke athlete only as of the last year or so. Um, all of a cat four, but yeah, you know, moving along. Um, yeah. So this is, this is an interesting topic. Um, it's an interesting topic because, you know, it doesn't get a lot of press, of course. Uh, I think when we talk about uh, to be here, you know, let, let's be clear, the, the theory of the case of why we're here, why we're talking about this is because there's obviously in men's health land and, and in, certainly in women's health land as well, we're just more equipped to comment on the former here, I suppose. Um, there is a tension between intense endurance sports training and both um, sex drive and sexual performance. And usually when people talk about the benefits of exercise and sports training, it's all very, very salutary. It's very good. Uh, it increases stamina and vitality and um, makes you perform better. And it's uh, because it's aerobics or exercise is good for you. All those things are undoubtedly true, uh, but it, it does come at a certain cost. And yeah, it doesn't get a lot of uh, airtime, you know, for the usual host of reasons. Um, but I think, you know, besides the obvious ones and obvious things like, you know, men's general reluctance to talk about things like this. Uh, I think it's also hard to talk about because, uh, you know, unavoidably in doing so, you're probably, you know, in some dimension or another talking about your sex life as well. And yes. even if you say you're not, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's like a, you know, asking for a friend's stuff. Uh, you know, if you say, well, you know, I, I've, I've struggled with this or I've struggled with that, you're unavoidably, you know, offering some uh, insight into something that's normally very, you know, very private for people, particularly in the context of go get them sports where everything's always good, uh, where you're supposed to have a very, very cheerful, very optimistic uh, disposition about everything. Um, and then, I've, you know, that's, I suppose, one factor. And gosh, I think... Uh, Another one has to be, you know, just the, the fact that it's a stressful topic in relationships. Um, I, I think you and I touched about this and uh, touched on this in our internal discussions, but you know, when, when we were going back and forth on it, one of the things, major themes that emerged is that, you know, the ebb and flow of training blocks and athletic training and sex and your sex life and your personal life more generally has, you know, has a rhythm of planning about it, which, you know, we think of sex as a very, very spontaneous thing. We think of it something that just, uh, that, you know, you go kind of where the wind takes you. And plus, if you're, if you're kind of like me anyway, and you're a type B person and really fairly averse to planning and, you know, maybe a, a training peaks calendar is like the snow capped summit of like your executive function in life, then, <laughs> um, to pile yet another thing that you have to modulate and think about and structure into it is also hard. So it's all of these different things um, that make it really worthwhile to explore. And of course, you know, there's a female side to this too. And 
you know, I, I think here you have to differentiate maybe a little bit between the way that sports impacts sex drive versus the way it impacts the ability to deliver on sex drive. I think those are related, but somewhat different things. Uh, So that's a very interesting fine line. And so say, mm -hmm. break that down a little bit more, meaning that you actually are hungry for it or versus, okay, I can do this and make it happen. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And of course, and of course they're interrelated because obviously, you know, if you are really into it, it tends to be the case that you can also are better equipped to make it happen. All other things being equal, but they're not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, you know, training is objectively fatiguing, but it doesn't mean that you're necessarily sexually disinterested and the rhythms and flows of all that never really get explored as part of talking about it with, uh, talking about the ways that it, we talk about a lot of the ways that biking impacts your life. You've, you've had a few podcasts and video drops where you talked about, um, the impact of, cycling and training on relationships and how to manage that balance and work-life balance and issues like that. But we never really talk about sex and training balance. And there is a balance. There are attention. That's why we're here. And I thought it would be good to explore and get your get your guys' perspective on this because uh, it's something to which I'm relatively new uh, in terms of trying to kind of wrap my head around it myself. I'm not new to cycling, but I'm on track to ride like 12,000 miles this year, which I think is, you know, probably two and a half times more than I've ever ridden in a year, maybe twice, you know? So uh, the volume is just crushing compared to what it used to be. And of course it's been, you know, very good, but once you start getting into this territory uh, that's very different than riding 3000 miles a year as a casual rider and talking about how that impacts your sex life. Which is, uh, no. so at this point though, do you still feel good? Cause that was something we kind of talked about a few months ago of like, man, you are racking up miles feeling great. And you're like, yeah, still feel good. I think it's the, the rest is the key and we can, we won't get too off topic on this, but yeah, I mean, I think as long, I think people can surprise themselves how much they can ride as long as they're resting. Most athletes will go three months, never, they might rest a couple of days. They don't take that full week where they re-get that hunger going. And then you're mm-hmm. thinking, man, I really want to be riding. I think that's so important during the rest week to miss the bike so that you can, in the end, ride more. Um, no, I agree with that. Um, certainly, if you look at my, as, as I think you did, if you look at my ride history and power analysis uh, for the prior year, when I also rode a lot of miles, I think it was like 7,600 and I was trying, but it was, you know, just sort of improvised and there really Wait. wasn't much rest there at all. And way less endurance. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. More, sma- more smashing, less aerobic work. So yeah. let's, so you brought up a ton of good points and I think, so then we can pass the mic here. I think, I don't know where we want to take this first. The, the piece that I think is the most interesting is kind of what we had as the bullet point number four, the hormonal effect of performance, wanting to have sex. That's super important in life. And that's actually a huge marker that I use. Am I training too much? If I don't want to have sex, I'm like, something's, this is not right. But the other points were, you know, I think we can sort of breeze past the inherent fatigue aspect or, you know, fatigue is going to be decreased libido, but I would put a question mark next to that. It's something that I think you can fatigue yourself and be training, but still 
want to have sex and, and be more than, Hey, I can make this happen, but want it to happen. The second one was the physio mechanics of riding people's position on the bike. Are they doing damage to the perineum? We can talk about that. Increased stress just to what you had said. Exercise is great, but when is there too much? Uh, we just talked about number four and then, um, I don't know much on number five, you would put maybe a dehydration warrant a bullet point, mm-hmm. but if someone has comments on that, we can talk about that. But I would say Andy and Patrick, what's when we pass this conversation across the board to coach and said, Hey, who wants to jump in on this? What sort of jumped out to you that you thought this is, this is an interesting conversation. Like what's, what kind of, where did your mind go with that topic? Clean content, you know, in my exploration of things and just trying to learn what's what's hot in the world. And th- this has not come up. Um, I've never seen it, you know, at, in a, a related search scroll on YouTube. Uh, and I think so that was number one. And then I think everybody's got relatable stories. You know, I I immediately thought of my first year riding when I was really training in the first winter and like the fatigue of that first week and you know, not only was my libido gone, but I mean, I was just like sleeping all the time. I was so <laughs> tired because I put myself through more fatigue than I ever had previously in my life. I was like a non-athlete and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to train and you do, you know, two, three cycles of three on one off. Cause that, you know, that was how we did it. And I just, I was like, it was like December. And I think I just done my first like 12 hour week. And I was just totally, totally tanked. And I felt fine after a week, but I just, I had that memory. And then the other aspect is, you know, I've, I've definitely finished races and like, okay, I got to go pee. And it's like, it hurts a little bit to pee. And like, that's not a good thing, but that's a, that's a real situation that I immediately related to. So yeah, there's, there's definitely things um, that you can do to address this stuff. Um, But I, I related to your desire to kind of talk about this, Alex. So I, I thought it was cool. So thanks a lot for bringing this up. Um, I don't know, Andy, you want to add anything before we talk about mitigation strategies or. Yeah. Um, thank you for, uh, uh, opening these topics because I know it's, it's funny. It's my second podcast and I'm already speaking about that, but, uh, this is something that, was never spoken about and it should be spoken because um, you know it, it is an issue and uh, it it affects your relationship it affects your performance it affects also your well-being uh, and your self-confidence uh, with your partner and with yourself yeah and the second part is that you know people speak about sport that everything is healthy and some parts of sports are are not healthy and should be addressed as it, as it is and uh, like um, like you said now with the when you finish a race and you have to pee and it hurts you know that that's something that the body tells you that you did something wrong or you you, you push too much yeah and especially when you think about um, as a vital organ especially for confidence and and also for you know the uh, it it can uh, it can be hard for the head just to think about it, and if you just neglect the problem, uh, I think it can get really worse. 
and in the end you you know i i know people that neglected the problem for too long and now then they had to have surgery mm. because of um because of the perineum issue let's go and, into that uh, sorry sorry i didn't mean to cut you off yeah I was going to say, let's go into this. You both brought that up. Let's talk about the post-race. So is that from sitting in a funny position or like on the rivet and too much stress on that? Or what has been, what have you guys found out about that? Yeah, for me, this was, this is that, yeah, that on the rivet for like the entire race feeling and not maybe having Mm -hmm. a saddle that could be as optimized as it, as it could have been. I haven't had those issues, knock on wood, in a long time, uh, I've changed a lot of aspects of my setup and my equipment. So it's hard to kind of pinpoint one exact thing. Uh, but saddle choices, it's gotta be saddle choice and fit have to be the number, number one way that you yeah. address that sort of thing. And if there is a problem, like just simply even having the awareness to go, that's a problem. Like, don't just ignore it. It's, do something about it or, you know, do some research or try a different saddle. Like, I think that's, that's key. Whereas people maybe have this built in mentality to just, you know, suck it up. It'll get better. It's like, I'm not strong enough yet. Yeah. I think you have to have a little perspective on what's what feels right and what feels wrong. I mean, biomechanically, we were not designed to ride bikes. Uh, Much of our equipment is really designed to mitigate that point in some fashion or another. And without having gone through a lot of saddles and a lot of options, you may not necessarily know. I, mean, I used Before I got a fit, I used to think that certain aspects of being on the bike were just inherently uncomfortable because that's just part of it. Suck it up. Plus, you know, when you're young and you're made out of rubber, it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, then it starts to show itself more as you become a little more fragile. Uh, the other thing is, you know, it's fit and saddle choice are one thing, but you can still use your saddle wrong. Like I do. Uh, I end up sitting on the rivet a lot, uh, just sliding forward on the saddle. It doesn't matter if the saddle from a formal perspective has bio. Um, I, I use a very, very good fitter. I have very good confidence in all of his conclusions and judgments about my various limitations and dimensions and so forth and his saddle choices. And you can still sit on the saddle badly and you just have to learn to sit on the saddle goodly. And that takes time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it can be a real issue. I mean, you're interrupting blood flow in the perineum that, that, that has impacts on the rest of your life in many facets. Um, if you do it on a chronic basis, I still have to remind myself if I get out, out of the saddle and then sit back down, I need to make sure I sit back down in the right way back on my sit bones because half the time I don't. And then it takes me a while to realize that I'm getting better at it, but it's definitely a thing. I've definitely found that with, I switched saddles recently and I think not so much from a a men's health, but it's actually a a topic that I've been thinking of because there would be days where I felt like I had to pee or I would pee and it wasn't like I really had to go, but when I was riding, I'm I'm thinking, man, I got to go. And I was noticing that I was sliding forward more just as we're talking about. And so I've switched this SMP, which definitely keeps me back a little bit more. Um, I think there could be something else at play, which Alex and I have talked about these prostate, um, CBD capsules from hello blue. After he started talking about some things, I started trying them. And unfortunately my dad had actually just reached out to me. This could be a whole other wrench in the story. 
he told me that I have to get a PSA test because I guess this prostate cancer is hereditary and it skipped him, but they found it in my cousin because he took this test. Like, so now you got to get tested. So now I'm actually a little paranoid that something could be going on. So when I get back from Ecuador, that's first on the list of getting a PSA test. But I, yeah, I think the, the message that I want to send there is I had been on the same saddle for 11 years, 135,000 miles. And finally just was thinking, this isn't the saddle for me anymore. It was allowing me to slide forward too much. And there were other things I think too, that as I've been getting older, I think my cadence has naturally slowly been lowering. And so I'd kind of get in a different position with that. And it's just one, one little thing changes the next thing. And I, I always try to remember when I went from 175 cranks to 177 and a half, the smallest change. And it felt like a totally different bike. So when something feels weird, just like Patrick said, don't ignore it, address it. Think of any little thing. You're leaning a little bit farther forward. You're leaning back more. You're whatever. The saddle's worn out. It's, you know, there's so many things that can affect you on the bike. So don't ignore it, but start trying to address it. Yeah. I, I think another part of this that, you know, sort of just bleeds over into how cycling and cycling as a lifestyle affects your personal life, of course, uh, that we talked about a lot is just the fact that as you go through a hard training block or the ebb and flow of hard workouts through the week or whatever, uh, you, I'm not going to say you have to plan your sex life around that. It's not a binary zero or one kind of thing. We're like, well, on, on these days I can do it. And on those days I can't, it's not that clear cut, but you have to sort of take into account the global, the more macro perspective on your fatigue and stuff like that, of course. And it's bad enough that partners already hate the scheduling that goes into endurance <laughs> sports in general. Cause it's like, well, you know, I can't, sorry, honey, I can't stay out late on Friday night. Cause I got an early morning, you know, in Saturday endurance crusher or whatever, and all, 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 all those kinds of issues. And you might say, well, if, why are you calling it a crusher if it's endurance, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you know, it's bad enough, but like, what are you going to, what's but that's next real. That, that's it's, real. It's, it's, it's real, but what like, you, what are you going to do? Are, what are you, you going to put? But, but, but beyond that, what well, what do you do? You put sex on training peaks, give it like 25 TSS. You know, what am I going to do with the other hour and 58 minutes? You know, <laughs> So, <laughs> so um, that level of micromanagement <laughs> is, uh, oh, yeah, right. Endurance rest of the time. Um, oh, that, oh my God. <laughs> well, the, but, but you get my point, like that level of micromanagement oh. in your, um, in your regime, when you're already beholden to scheduling certain aspects of your personal life around all this, um, can be an, a really added stressor. And like Alex said, I think, or um, like Andy said, I think it um, really af can affect your self-confidence and even your kind of sense of dignity as a person to a point. Uh, what's your, what's your thought on that, Andy, someone who's done big volume, who's been on the pro you're gone, you're racing a ton, you come home, maybe you're training a lot. Like how do how do you manage that when there's someone else there that needs love physically, mentally, everything. And you're coming back and maybe you're exhausted. What's the strategy? Uh, uh, first, I want to touch uh, the saddle issue because um, like we, we cannot pick our saddles every time. Like we, uh, we have sponsored saddles 
so we have to work around that which sometimes can be an issue because you you get a saddle that doesn't fit okay maybe you can pick in the range of the saddle but it doesn't really matter you know sometimes you just find the saddle that's horrible for you and then you have to work around that to make it better and that that can affect you so and one thing we forget with the saddle is that saddles at least uh, a lot of them especially if you are not made from carbon um, they get worn out or bent pretty soon and the saddle doesn't get always get bent uh, like evenly so it can get you know because you also don't sit on the saddle evenly so uh, then it gets bent into in one side and you know that that can you know uh, uh, make things a uh, lot worse uh, really really fast second is that um, a lot of people have problems because of the riding position especially in a TT you know when you sit are really low and on the on the front and you're always pushing and third part is that we forget we always speak about you sitting on the rivet but we forget about um, stretching. We when you like when you do a big block of training uh, and you you are fatigued, your muscles get shorter. Yeah. So naturally, on the first, uh, let's say on the third day, especially in the race, you can feel it that you know you're all cramped, not cramped up, but you are fatigued. Your muscles are fatigued, and uh, if you don't do a lot of stretching, uh, or at least some part of it you feel that it sits differently on the saddle. And when you, with that, you also start to move way more forward on the saddle because muscles are shorter. Mm. That's so, really interesting. Uh, yeah. So answer the tougher question. How do you deal with the relationship side of things when you're going through a big training block and it's like, yo, baby, we're going out to party tonight. And you're like, oh man, I just did this 23 hour week. Um, we have four kids, so I think <laughs> I was actually wondering if that was gonna be like, you're like, that's my you're like, that doesn't happen, so that's good. This is so, my part. So, you need to, so you need to, you need to have okay, so you need to step into the plate four times, make some babies, and then your pass is, is no. set. Yeah, well, no, well, no, 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 but I'll, it, yeah, it affects you, yeah. So, especially in the first two days, for me, the I think if you finish the race on Sunday, Sunday, the Tuesday is the hardest and you have to work around that, you know, they also need love, you know, also now with the kids, they also need love. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's really hard. Yeah. It's because it's not only physical stress. I think physical stress I can get around, but it's more mental because from the race perspective, uh, mentally sometimes harder and yeah, it affects you. It affects also your, your relationships, you know, because, uh, you know, everything that affects you as a person will also affect your partner and the, the people around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I kind of wonder which parts of this are really cycling specific though, because anybody that, you know, works hard for a living or does a extensive physical work or has a stressful job or long hours be like, yeah, exerting yourself has impacts your sex life. Who knew? Uh, so but when you start talking about at least you know, sports per se, you know, there's an added dimension to it when you're sort of philosophizing about it with your partner too, because uh, working 16 hours a day in the ER or 
at the package sorting facility or whatever are sort of not optional. You just have to. This is something we do fundamentally for recreation at the end of the day. Um, or maybe the objectives are, we would characterize them as something a little bit more cosmological than recreation. But at any rate, it seemed to be discretionary by the outside world. There's no argument about that. Um, unless you are literally a pro athlete who's literally being paid a lot of money just to ride your bike. Um, and that's a very infinitesimally, vanishingly small percentage of even people we consider pro athletes or pro level. So, you know, ha having to defend the giant hole that it blows in the rest of your life and advocate for it constantly and apologize for it when uh, this is at the end of the day, a somewhat, you know, a very life optional set of commitments you know, for you guys, maybe less so. You, you guys have, in some dimension or another, made careers around cycling, maybe not necessarily on a full-time basis, but like for someone like me, for example, who has a day job and a whole other set of responsibilities and cycling, like for many of the athletes you coach, is just something you do on the side. Um, it's a, It can be a little hard because then it's like, well, I'm just not feeling into it last few days. I'm sorry. I'm just really tired. I'm barely even getting my work done. Oh, whose fault is that? You know, <laughs> I don't know if ever, I would, most cyclists are so passionate that even if they aren't training 20 hours and they're riding 10 hours, I wouldn't, I don't think anybody, most don't look at it as on the side. They're so passionate about like this sport brings in, you know what I mean? You do no, it on I don't the side, mean, but I, man, you, you, we, you talk no, about I, 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 I don't, I don't look at it. Like, of course like, I don't. Yes, I look at it as a primary quality of my existence as well. But in terms of how it looks from the side, objectively, yeah. it's like, well, you know, that's not what that's not what pays the bills. <laughs> so, so I, I mean, I, I, go ahead. I really admire, I really admire our clients because you know, doing this, especially when you're riding uh, such big miles that like Alex is doing, and uh, you know, there's not only it's micro and macro management and you have to keep everyone happy you have to keep your partner happy and you have to keep yourself happy and you know on the other hand if you want to train like Alex is doing it uh, with a full-time job and and you cannot do it because some some you know you have a lot of work and it's interrupting you and you have a lot of stress because you just want to train or and that also affects you. People don't uh, realize the stress that comes with the normal job, how much it affects uh, cycling and also sex life. Yeah, because mm -hmm. all putting all these things together, it's uh, it's tougher than we actually think. At least, yeah, because yeah, the dichotomy between these two headspaces is a source of stress in itself, and can also alter your mood and uh, like many other psychological complications, of course has a lot of bearing on the relationship side of it. Yeah, definitely. I think one tactic is, you know, especially actually since getting married, the I do less long five and six hour rides because, you know, it's just not the best look to come home and sit on the couch and look like a puddle for two hours afterwards. And it's like, okay, well, maybe if I do four hours and I actually have energy to do other things, that's just where I'm going to be at right now. And finding that balance. I mean, it's when it's no longer just you. If you're if you're 22 and just rolling solo, like go buck wild. But things definitely change. And I think there's still a way to 
get the training dose that you want in. You just have to be more creative with it. So now I'll do more four hour rides or three hour rides. I rarely ride two hours. And also the aspect of there's something about being gone five hours. It is a pretty solid amount. Leave at eight. You're back at one, eight. You know, you really start getting ready at seven fifteen. You get back at one. Yeah. You're not done shower till two. Like this is a kind of an all day affair. Whereas four well, hours, it just, it's just, you're not gone as long. And it doesn't seem as much of the whole day is based around the bike. That's the biggest thing in my relationship is Chris will say, can we not base this weekend around the bike? So we'll have a husband's day where if I get to ride, I ride, but we're definitely not talking about, okay, so what are we doing tomorrow morning? Cause I think I'm going to ride at 10 and the weather might do this, but if it does that, I might do this instead. It's like, we're just going to do our thing. If the ride happens. It happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I've learned to enjoy that day. I mean, it's uh, some days you don't get to ride, but back to what I was saying to Alex about being able to ride 12,000 miles. Damn, I'm definitely hungry the next day. And it just keeps that fire going, which I think is really good for long term. Yeah, but also your characterization of this situation, uh, you know, speaks to your fitness and where you are in cycling. But, you know, it's important to remember that for, you know, the cat fours among us, uh, a a somewhat brutal two hour ride can leave you sitting in a puddle for two hours too, depending on just what it is, which sounds silly if you're where you're at. But all, all I mean to say by that is that even much smaller training commitments <clears throat> can still have that all day aspect. And I mean, let's face it. Some of us are just very inefficient people. I'm one of them. Like you're talking about getting ready at seven fifteen, and, you know, coming back at one and not being out of the shower till two uh, for me, all that can grow to easily like swallow up a whole day, uh, just by the time you get around to like lumbering over from the shower and getting your snack and just thinking about things and then just kind of zoning out like a zombie for a while. And then of course, you know, it depends on what kind of work you do too. Um, not to belabor this point, but you know, when you're uh, those of us who do uh, kind of, you know, very focused and intensive tasks, uh, I liken it to writing, you know, if you've ever written a dissertation or a book, you know how this goes. Like if you've been away for it for a week and you come back to it, you just sit there and play with the little scroll bar and word for four hours and stare at the screen and do nothing. And that's if you got all the focus and energy in the world. And it's because you've got this massive universe of context that you've got to keep in your head. If you're writing a 176 page book and it's a work in progress, then you really have to be completely zoned into the flow and the arc of the overall narrative and where things are going in your text and the flow of ideas. And if, you know, in my case, it's software work. It's very much like that. So you come back from a two hour endurance ride in the middle of the day, by the time you get around to sitting back and like trying to focus into something that you last briefly looked at at 8 a.m. this morning, it, it, it's very possible that just like nothing is going to get done the rest of the day. That's just, you gotta, I, I would disagree. And they, in that one, you just got to figure it out. I mean, no, you I, do, you do. Gotta, and I mean, I can, as, as evidenced by my ability to make a living, nevertheless, I, you know, to some extent have, but it's a struggle is my point. Yeah. Um, and, and it bears, and it bears upon this discussion too, because, you know, it affects other aspects of your life too. I, I think, um, even if your relationship, uh, you know, isn't necessarily intellectual or creative knowledge work in terms of the demands it places on your brain, it has um, some of the facilities required to be adequately engaged with it work the same way. 
sometimes you're just tired and it's not even necessarily a physical tiredness to, to Andy's point. You're just kind of mentally spacey, that kind of long COVID brain fog that you get after uh, a long ride is something that affects my, um, certainly affects the, my interactions with other people. It can. So, so if bas- yeah, basically, ahead. thanks. Um, you know, I think we've all kind of acknowledged that there is no denying that there is a physical fatigue that will kind of infect other aspects of our life if we're not coming up with the right mitigation strategies for that. Like that's just, it's just undeniable. Cycling makes you tired. Anything that makes you tired is going to make you less focused on what you were doing before you were doing it. Being at riding a bike or whatever else it may be that's not related to the other tasks that are required, you know, life tasks with work or relationships. Uh, And, you know, there's this physical fatigue and, you know, like Andy mentioned, there's the emotional and um, just the, the, like of a racing where you're just exhausted from the stress of of a race week. And, and that's all going to kind of have an impact, but, you know, is the impact on a scale of, like, well, that was super easy. It was a recovery ride to like, this is zero to 100, 100 being like, this is the absolutely not healthy side of the sport where we just sometimes go way past what is maintainable, even within a broad spectrum or on the micro scale. And I think having an awareness, having experience, everything that we've all done through the years to gain better awareness of ourselves, we have to make sure we don't go from zero to 100. We have got to find a way to get to, to pull things back once you get to about 50. Right. And then, so instead of getting past the point of no return, you're getting back to somewhat of an equilibrium, you know, that happens in rest weeks that happens with diet that happens with paying attention to sleep. You know, Alex, you've kind of categorized yourself as a, as a type B personality, you know, creative scattered a little bit, you know, kind of drawing connections all the time. I definitely put myself in that same camp. I don't like thrive on a schedule. I, I thrive on, you know, just, you know, drawing conclusions and, and uh, being creative and that, that sort of thing. And it doesn't necessarily, those two things don't lend themselves well to each other all the time, you know, right brain, left brain, they have to work in harmony, but you know, one is going to take control eventually. Um, so, but you know, for me being in that same kind of personality trait, it, I just had to adapt. I had to become a little bit different. And when I'm doing it well, it's, I'm just, I'm taking steps to make sure that I know, you know, ahead of time, what a day is going to look like and how that's going to affect tomorrow and how that's going to affect next week. And, and by kind of getting that sort of game plan laid out for myself, not just the, not after a ride, but be, well before a ride or rides, I, I do a lot better, you know, just take jotting down notes uh, helps a lot. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, you know, you got to get the right amount of sleep. You need to eat the right foods. You, the more you perfect your ability to train by the things you're doing off the bike, the less of an impact the bike will have on your global life. And that's, you know, that's just a, uh, that's a learned skill for sure. Oh, I was actually going to ask you a specific question, but you brought up another question. 
what are the foods that you talk about that you think are helpful, just meaning eating clean? And if so, what would that mean for somebody that might not really know what that means? If you were telling me 12 years ago, eat cleaner, I'd be like, I don't know, huh? Like less chicken wings or no chicken wings? Um, <laughs> what, what, what do you mean when you mean the foods? Yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty basics here, but you know, you got to, if you're riding and training a lot, you need to refuel for that. I mean, my kind of gold standard is the less things I can eat out of a package, the better I end up feeling. Luckily for me, my wife's a great cook. I like to cook and I'm pretty basic. I don't mind eating rice and beans and bread like all the time. The basic stuff that's going to keep the energy levels high, you know, pre and post riding. I was carb low for a really long time. And I, I can't say with certainty that that had a huge impact in fatigue in earlier years, but um, I'm pretty sure it did. And getting behind on nutrition is, is going to be an issue, but, you know, incorporating whole foods, eating fish, eating red meat occasionally, but not all the time, you know, all the, the basic stuff that adds up, take a multivitamin, you know, do, um, do your post-ride, you know, shake that, you know, with the athletic greens and the collagen, whatever it is, whatever it's going to take so that, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 this. And by doing those things, the next day you're going to be less trash than if you ate just the candy or just, <laughs> or just the bag of chips. Or- so the thing that you did not bring up yet, which I can't believe, what is one thing that an athlete could do to have more, a better hormonal benefit? This is like the wall. Yeah, Balashov. What oh. is it? <laughs> Pump the ion. Yes. I was like waiting. That was good. When Alex was talking, oh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to ask Patrick this question. That's going to be dead on. So it was the leading question. <laughs> that was like, the number one. Off. Lifting. I cannot. And I actually just ran into an athlete that just started lifting. Cat one. And he's already seen, you know, in a few weeks, you start to see different body definition. I said, have you had sex after lifting yet? He said, no. Why? I said, go do it. I mean, I think sex after lifting is awesome. And that is when we talk about planning, I know if I'm like crushing some weights and I don't even really crush weights anymore, I'm lifting more by RP and never really maxing out. There's more like, oh man, I really want to do this. This is awesome. And it's that difference between I want to do it versus I know I should want to do it. So I'm going to do it. I don't like that feeling. And I had that feeling of, "Mm, I I feel like there should like sex should be going on right now. And last year when I trained too much, that was definitely more the mind state. And when I caught myself thinking that I was like, whoa, okay, wait, I need to dial this back a little bit. But if you don't, it's easy to not see that. And, you know, it's, it's easy to be, as we always say, it's, you know, you're you're the athlete in the trees doing all the workouts. It's kind of hard to zoom out on yourself and see the big picture. And it's really crucial, especially when it comes to being in a relationship and making the other person happy and feel loved. And that's definitely physically and emotionally. Yeah. You brought up something interesting. Um, I'm going through my mid late thirties now and there's a general background of slowly falling testosterone, obviously. And I was aware of that before I got into formal training and it, I mean, you, you know, you realize you're not 23 anymore at some point in the, in the, in terms of how you relate to your uh, sex drive or sex life. 
And then of course, training has an additional impact on that. So being able to have the perspective to, and some amount of formal knowledge, I guess, to separate the two and disentangle them and understand what's fatigue from training and what's just an inevitable part of not being 23 anymore can be a little hard. Mm -hmm. I think it's more the training, but, and you know, it's, see, this is one of those things that everybody wants everything to be measured. What's my, after all these metrics, everything, everything that counts can't be counted. And hormones are one thing that in 20 years, we're going to look back and be like, wow, whoa, we did not even see this happening. If you have some like sex that you really want to have, Versus the sex that you have to have now in a weird analogous comparison, you know, those days when you are fresh and you are crushing some hard efforts, you are digging, you are scraping the bottom of the barrel and you are like, yeah, the days when you don't have the energy to do it and you try the Watts suck, you suck, you're way slower than normal. And, and that to me is very analogous. That's why I try to lift all year round. We cannot see what's going on hormonally and in our cells. But there is a very vast difference between when you are just, when the hormones are balanced and how they should be, you are hungry for certain things in life. And that will be a very big plus on the bike. When it's not and you're a little, got the malaise and you can do your FTP workout, whatever, when things get crazy in a bike race, that's the race I think that you just don't have it sometimes. You just, you're just not this animal and you're tired. So yeah, I would, I'm excited when there is a, I don't know, a cellular meter that we can see way more of what's going on or like whether at some point in life we're going to eat it and there's going to be things that's like, oh, doo, 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 you just got this many kilojoules of energy and it was this, this and this. And like the next thing you should eat is this. And then it's just going to be super optimized and ridiculous and whatever. But yeah, we just we're so dumb compared to where we're going to be going, obviously evolution. Yeah. But I mean, zooming out a little bit from like the transhumanism and the measurement of everything aspect in the meantime, there's still an intuitive feel you get over time about, am I just, am I, am I just tired from training or am I just getting older? And for me, that's a process that I struggle with. That's what I'm saying. I think it's, tired because i think dude like people that are healthy they are knocking it out when they're 50 60 set like it's you definitely should not be now for you so maybe you know on the, on the sidebar it was like hey maybe that twelve thousand miles is too much yeah no it's 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 not really that it it's just figuring out which feeling is coming from where and then like everything else it ebbs and flows it's not a consistent trend this way or that way mm-hmm. but when you're trying to reason about it i mean at the beginning of the talk we talked about kind of a local awareness of local fatigue versus being wanting it in the macro. And I think that's where that fits in. Mm. So I guess what I'm really trying to say there is um, when you're still calibrating your instincts for how training affects you, which in my case is very relevant because this is the first year I've actually done formal training per se, or anywhere near this volume. Uh, it takes time to build an awareness of how training is affecting you versus is there something wrong with me versus am I getting older Mm. and untangling those strands is not necessarily easy. And I guess what I would say to others in my position is based on my experience, you know, don't, don't reach for really pessimistic conclusions really quickly. Cause uh, when I first started writing hard and writing a lot, and this was probably before you and I started doing training, 
Uh, but when I first started writing a lot more than I've ever written, it really did hit me like a ton of bricks and it did affect my personal life in a noticeable way, not in an injurious way, but it was, it made a difference. Obviously I was just very fatigued and it, it, it I don't know, it kind of, it, it, it kind of depressed me for a while. It took me a while to reason my way out of that get a little perspective, add a little bit of rest into the mix, experiment with different ways to ebb and flow the fatigue and realize that, no, it's really not that bad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we speak about um, um, hormones, the most hormones we spoke, we speak about is testosterone. But, you know, we, we forget, you know, there's a bunch of other hormones that also affect our life, yeah? And when we speak about even hormones in food or uh, affect what, what's going on, and let's say stress hormone affects our um, mm. sex health. Uh, so cortisol is really, we, we, in the past, we had, uh, we measured it quite a lot because uh, it, it showed, the, yeah, it shows the fatigue that's uh, on the body. And there are some things, yeah, that you can do about it. And one thing is lifting or doing stuff like that. Uh, what also helped me is doing short bursts, just uh, at the finish, uh, uh, at the end of the session, of, let's say on a bike ride, that you do a really short burst, like maybe three, four, five seconds. Uh, full gas? Actually, mm-hmm. Yeah, full gas, five seconds sprint. Maybe five times, six times in the end. Let's say I do a zone three, let's say a tempo ride, uh, tempo climb, and then uh, in the downhill five, six times, short burst. And I could feel the effect of being more vital. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's something It's something uh, together with the lifting. It, it, it has the same effect, yeah? Mm-hmm. This, <clears throat> and it, it, it affects... Um, also, what I, you know, some, let's say, uh, stress, uh, we speak also about uh, hormones of happiness. So if you kiss yeah. a lot, <laughs> it also affects you. And if you're uh, more happier, you, it, it also affects something, you know. So everything is related. And uh, we speak only about cycling now and about endurance sports, which, yeah, it affects you. But, you know, there's all, you know, it's, we have, we, we forget about the big picture, yeah. So, you know, it's not only about uh, endurance, but you can um, do things that you will fix your uh, hormone values, yeah. Vitality was a really good word. That's was the word I was looking for earlier. Well said. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, in the end, everything is connected, yeah. And you know, we, we are always chasing, especially when when you are uh, when you are, you know, you did your basics, you did your, you know, and now you're trying to, you know, just catch the, the last things that will affect your performance. And you have to think, you know, with with a broad uh, with a broad eyes. And it's hard sometimes because you are so caught up in your training and so caught up in everything else that you forget to step a little bit back and see, see what everything else, what can affect you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point that Brendan brought up at the beginning too, that uh, cycling tends to be a more all-consuming thing for people, even at the amateur level. Uh, there are, of course, other challenging sports and endurance disciplines and so forth, where people are committing almost all of their time and energy to it, but tends to be closer to like the pro level, uh, not, not for everything uniformly, of course, but cycling really is very all-consuming, even at um, relatively low levels of the totem pole. So this becomes a little bit more relevant. And I think part of it is just because it, it is a, it's a fairly time greedy hobby. I mean, there's really no such thing as an athletically useful half hour bike ride. Right. So uh, you got to put in the volume. It's very well, well no, I mean, I, I suppose one could devise such a ride. Yes. But in principle, this is a high volume, high time commitment time sport type of sport like endurance in general is, but you know, whereas, you know, I used to run like many people, um, and never particularly good at it, but you know, a, a 45 minute run as a, as a daily workout is not really out of question. I think that a lot of runners do that. Um, 45 minute bike ride, very different, uh, yeah. very different. So, uh, it's gotta, it's gotta gobble up a lot of your time and a lot of your energy and a lot of your ability to just sustain something. And that's gotta have something to do with the, with the fatigue factor and the way it affects your, the macroscopy of your, of your mood, your burning um, way more calories. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. With, with a few more minutes that we've got here, what last topics do either of you uh, think maybe we missed or want to hit on? Yeah. Uh, what I want to speak about is uh, this is uh, when you train a lot and it's not for everybody and doesn't have, you know, it's not the same, but some people, um, like the uh, count of spermia in, in I don't know, uh, how would I say, in a ejaculation, is that correctly? <laughs> uh, it, it's so lower, so low, that it actually sometimes it's, uh, lower than a cancer patient. Oh, if you're training and, too much? Yeah. Are you talking about the amount or... Yeah. So let's say if you if they measure, I don't know how they measure it, but if they if they measure it when you're overtrained uh, and your hormone values are bad, mm. so the also the count of spermia is much lower. Ah, so it's okay. Actually, yeah. So it's actually much harder if you want to have a baby. Right. Much harder to make a baby. You're actually not sterile, but sometimes you are. The, uh, there were some studies. I think I. I one that uh, that uh, you can see that um, it actually affects uh, a lot, yeah. And also, when you when you look at the pro cycling pro cyclists when they have babies, so <laughs> this is actually really funny. We always I have three three of my kids are born in July, so which if you reverse it for ten months, it's October. <laughs> That's when you're home. Yeah, <laughs> that's the start of the off season. Yeah, this is the first time you were without a bike for let's say ten or fourteen days. Your testosterone is rocking through the roof, you know. So uh, it's actually and the, my first day, my first kid was made when we were when we were both six for fourteen days and stuck in the home. So you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a funny story, but it's true, and you know. 
it is this is how sometimes uh, endurance sports affect a human or yeah. a man. So, so there's a broadly established inverse relationship between endurance sports fatigue and, and training and testosterone levels. And I suppose the suggested mitigation is lifting and other you know, types of str- strength exercises, as well as watching your global uh, holistic wellness, if you like. But is there anything else that comes to mind that is, is you know, something applied that really that you can work on to help keep this in balance. Well, well, what Andy just said, you know, 14 days off the bike, testosterone is rocking after the season. What do you do? Rest it. That is the number one thing is getting ahead of your fatigue and never letting it take control, like getting to that 50% mark. That's why it's three weeks on one week off. And at the end of the season, you know, you'll maybe never get exactly to baseline, but, that's just not overtraining. That's probably the number one thing for me. Mm-hmm. That's the number people. So I will get athletes that, say, that will say to me, wow, when you make me go hard, I've never gone so hard, but damn, you make me rest a lot because it's a, the week is very resty. And even on Strava, I'll get comments, dude, do you have a rest? I'm like, well, yeah, you just don't see those because I don't get on the bike. I don't do recovery rides. I'm fully off the bike. I sleep a lot. And so people only see four-hour ride, four-hour ride, four-hour ride. They're not seeing walk. Sometimes I post hikes if I do that. But, you know, now that I'm in Florida, I don't really do that as often or just busy with work. And I might ride a couple times during the week. But it's like I was right when you started saying that, Patrick. I'm like, that is the get to the 50 that you're talking about. Don't get to zero. And so I think that's super well said. And my point would be lift weights and then recover and don't lift weights on rest days. You're not resting people's then people really start screwing everything up. So don't drive yourself into the ground too much. I I think that people try to, you know, sometimes they, you know, they want to push just a little bit more, you know, and when you try to push just a little bit more, then you actually go into minus and not into plus. It's not Mm -hmm. every time if you're pushing a little bit more, you know, people, especially on TV, they say, yeah, you have to work hard and harder and harder and harder. Yeah. But when does it stop? Yeah. And if you don't stop and if you don't listen to your body and if you don't listen, if you don't uh, rest when it's time to rest, then something will, you know, it will, you will fall off the cliff. And it will take yeah. you a month. It will take you a month, not just, let's say, two days. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to, and you have to comprehend your own the ebb and flow of your own fatigue in relation to where you are in the sport. The three weeks on, for one week off thing, you know, maybe is a kind of a a widely practiced standard, but it may not work for you. I mean, I know, I know, I've had weeks where I I should have just taken a rest week in the middle of the block and should have just said to Brendan, like, I'm sorry, man, like this is just not working for me this week, and I don't tend to do that because that's not the schedule. But, you know, maybe I should. Totally. This guy, I've said it from day one. The training. I know you've said it. The Bible. You know, I think. Yeah, no, I know you. I know you've said it. I just didn't listen. It's one thing (laughs) that I always look at someone when they start to say, ah, kind of tired on Thursday. Eh, Saturday, a little tired. Say, okay, hey, why don't we not go into this third week? And why don't you take a rest week or take three days and get rested? And then we guess what? We could start a training cycle on a Wednesday. It doesn't have to be Monday. It's 
arbitrary. You know, it tends to work in these 21 day rotations. It's for the ease of athletes. Most people have more time on the weekends than during the week, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, it always throws someone when there's a rest day on Saturday and they message me, why does it say rest on Saturday? It's like, well, you ride a ton all the time. Did you, can you go do other things today? Oh, I'd love to. It just seems like a mistake. No, this is why. Da, 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 da. So guys, this is good. I think it opens conversation for people that are still listening. Definitely post questions or comments below or send us a message. Let us know what's worked for you. What hasn't worked? Where have you taken missteps? So we could maybe make a mini podcast to highlight those. We don't have to dox you and put your name in it, but other things that you've learned on your journey and trying to manage endurance, sports, fatigue, sex drive, and holistic wellness. And anybody with anything final goodbyes or an Alex, thank you again for bringing this topic to light. I think it's conversation one of many. All right, guys, thanks for doing this. And we'll talk to y'all soon. All right. Thank you very much. See you, Ciao. Jones.